Hey, it's Stu coming up on today's episode of The Audible. It's a special one. We are live on the scene at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Bruce and Andy Staples join me to talk about the big news in the SEC this week with Scott Cochran. We'll give you a little bit of a window into what it's like to be at the Combine and answer your mailbag questions. That's coming up on The Audible. Welcome back to the Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I am Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my esteemed colleague Stuart Mandel. Stu, we've dragged you out of your habitat. You're in the most foreign place ever for you. You're at the NFL Combine. I feel like we kind of duct taped your eyes and took you from the Batcave. What do you make of this experience? I feel like I, I just said to you earlier. I feel like I ended up at the NFL Combine by accident, and we're here in Indianapolis and. And, and for so me, at least. why are you here? I'm here because uh, the athletic entire college football and NFL staffs are having, uh, using this occasion to have joint meetings because the, the whole NFL staff was going to be here anyway. Uh, a lot of our leadership from the company here as well. So two days of, of seminars and a reception and whatnot. The fact that the NFL combine is going on is just kind of a bonus. But it's, it's exactly how everybody described it. We went to dinner you know, I got in on uh, Wednesday even, early evening, and we go out to dinner, and oh, there's Jason Garrett, and there's Derek, Derek Dooley, Dooley, and yeah. you know, you you drag me to a bar afterward, and there's Charlie Weiss, and 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 look, if I were a closer NFL fan, I'm sure I would have recognized a lot more of these guys, but pretty much every head coach is floating around, and um, and it's in, in particularly fun to walk around this with you, because whereas most of the writers have to go up to somebody and introduce themselves, they're coming up to you. Uh, you know what, what I do like about this? I knew we'd run into like Scott Satterfield because yep. Louisville's not far from here. I saw him here last year, and pretty much half his staff is here, more than that. And now they have one of the top ten players here, Mackay Becton, that massive offensive lineman they had. But I, I, this is one of my favorite events because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of coaches who used to be in college who are here. I mean, one of the first group of people I saw was like a bunch of the giant staff because a lot of those guys had coached in the SEC, and now they're there. Uh, so I, you know, it's just fun to reconnect with people. Um, I am glad you came out to the bar last night. I did not expect to see you doing tequila shots with a certain former Power Five assistant coach, but it was nice to see. Anyway, right now I'm trying to figure out beyond the tequila joke. I'm trying to figure out what <laughs> Power Five assistant you were referring. You're, you're putting we're in gonna, this fake we're scenario. Keep both your both your. Uh, Anonymous here. Your reputation's intact. Um, I want to give a shout-out to Scott Docterman, our Iowa writer. So, like I said, the entire college staff came to Indianapolis. And that, for most of us, that meant a flight, especially for us on the West Coast. But a lot of our Big Ten-based people drove here. And, and, I, and I show up at the hotel lobby, and Scott's got a big cooler. Like, he's going to be tailgating. Uh, he and some of the other uh, writers who were within driving range did a beer, brought beers for, that were unique to their, where they were from and traded them. And I don't know, it looked like they were, it looked very Big Ten. And by the way, the sign, the Big Ten tournament's here in a couple weeks, and they already, did you notice the street signs are already up? Yes. Like Minnesota Way, Wildcat Way, et cetera. So, yeah, always a very cool experience. And uh, speaking of people you run into at the Combine, ladies and gentlemen, joining us now, live on Radio Row, 
none other than Andy Staples. Yes, I just happened by. And what a coincidence. Tour. It's amazing. Uh, so, Andy, right on cue, the biggest story in college football this past week, uh, Andy and I tag-teamed on a story about Scott Cochran, the longtime Alabama strength and conditioning coach. Coach, yeah, who is the rare. Yeah, 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 yeah. That guy. Dancing who ha- bear. Who has his own commercial on SEC Network for Regions Bank. I wonder Isn't if he still does. Well, I'm curious as if they yanked that off the air because Saban's in that commercial. That's true. So now he's at Georgia and he's on the field. Uh, before, I, I, I think we should all kind of go through this. Uh, what was your initial reaction to the story and how do you feel 72 hours after the dust has settled on this? My initial reaction was, wow. Because I'm not sure any assistant coach, coordinator, support staffer, you name it, was more important to their program in the last decade than Scott Cochran was. I mean, it, we, we talk about the constants at Alabama over five national titles in the Saban era. Well, Nick Saban's obviously the most important one. But there aren't many other people who've been there the whole time. Burton Burns was there for all five. He's now, he's now left. But could you say... I'm not disagreeing with you because when you, you know, like, and props to you for tweeting out what you tweeted out to, you know, for that story. But, like, I was thinking about, I was like, Brent Venables has had a huge impact at Clemson. Right. I'm trying to think, like, we're talking about a bunch Mickey of national Mar- titles. Mickey Marotti would be the other one I would say. But, you know, like, relative to this, Mickey Marotti is responsible for one national title. True. Um, he did have the two in Florida, but that was yeah, a while back. But you're yeah. talking about yeah. this particular right, right. I mean, think about yeah. it. He's been with him since 2007. Right. That's a long time right. ago now. Really, really interesting, and, and it's funny, when, when he got hired, you know who else was trying to hire him? Mario Cristobal at Florida International. That's right. Had a, had a good eye for talent even back then. He had, you know what? Mario Cristobal, we just ran it. We were talking about it before you came over. Scott Satterfield was here. Mario Cristobal, he was his boss, too. I exactly. Mean, he, he, Todd Orlando, he had a yeah. Jeff Collins. He's had a bunch of guys. You can say what you want about about Mario's about Mario's. Bruce, stop giving away stories that might come down the pipe oh, a little bit know. later. I didn't know. Sorry, Andy. <laughs> um, okay, so we're talking about how of a of a jaw dropper it is to see that him leave. Now, from talking to people who used to work there, as opposed to the people who now work there, you get a little bit of a different picture. And so I'm going to say what I'm going to say, and then I'm curious. For Stu's reaction to it, which is the people who used to work there have said he was the good cop to the Saban bad cop. All mm-hmm. the coaching turnover they had on the staff, he and Jeff Allen, who's the also longtime trainer, uh, they were the guys the players leaned on. He's a big reason why, they're the biggest reasons why a lot of these kids didn't transfer. But then you talk to people who are there now, they said, ah, it's a little different. And I don't know if it's like, you know, kind of created a monster where his persona and his personality has grown so big that maybe it was timed for a change there in the voice. Stu, do you think that is spin or do you think that do you buy into the fact that, you know, maybe this was this is ultimately a good thing for, for Alabama and Nick Saban to have a fresher voice and maybe the strength coach not being such a big overpowering presence. I mean, can it be both? Like I'm not there inside the building to know if, if Scott Cochran's attitude has changed or people's attitude toward him had changed and that this wouldn't be the worst thing right now. I just think you can spin it all you want. At the end of the day, Saban has had, I mean, it's not just that Scott Cochran's leaving. It's that he's had 
almost an entire turnover of his on-field coaching staff in like the last two years. Yeah, it's a big brain drain. Yeah, for so lack of a better when term. people would talk about, well, it doesn't matter how much staff turnover he has, it's the, the, the process just keeps rolling, the machine just keeps going. It's been, you know what, it's actually, I think it's been an entire turnover in the last two years because Pete Golding and Carl Scott are the, I think they're the only guys who've been in that same, in this, in, Golding Pete Golding's not in the same, not the same role. Yeah, yeah, Carl Scott might be the only guy who's been in the same role for multiple years. Now, Jeff Banks has been there two years, so I guess Jeff Banks came as the special teams coordinator. But everybody but else... That puts it in perspective. So to me, it's not about... I'm sure Nick Saban will hire a perfectly good strength coach. It's not about the, the, the lifting program. It's that he was... He was Saban. He was the, the person who... He was the culture he was, setter. He was who imparted the his hand of voice. the king, basically. If, yeah. you're, if you're going to put it in Game of Thrones terms, <laughs> he, he's the hand of the king. While Saban's out recruiting or, or doing whatever he is, and, like, and like Cochran's when, the one... And like when Tyrion was hand of the king. Now you're good going... Now I'm king. not getting any of these references, although John is laughing hysterically, so it must be pretty good. But yeah. I, it's a huge, huge loss because there's, there's almost no institutional knowledge left there except for Saban. But here's the thing. It probably had to happen. Because Cochran had come to the conclusion several years ago he wants to be a head coach. He's got to get on the field to be a head coach. That wasn't going to happen in Alabama. Saban had, had made that pretty clear. So you were either going to have an unha- unhappy Scott Cochran feeling like he was held hostage at Alabama, and that's not, that's not good for Alabama either. So now you've got Scott Cochran going to Georgia. He gets his chance to be an on-field coach. I do think... If he can prove he can recruit, evaluate and recruit, that there's a good chance someone will give him a look in a couple years as a head coach. It's an interesting dynamic because, all right, so he's a first-time special teams coordinator. They actually have in Todd Hartley, who is Miami's special teams coordinator for three years, is the tight ends coach at Georgia. I suspect they have analysts who, have, who are versed in special. So there is definitely a safety net for Scott Cochran to yeah. learn how to be a special teams coach. Uh, I am fascinated by... The idea of, you know, and look, Andy and I talked about this before our story, where there is, John Harbaugh is probably the, mo- the most famous example of a special teams coordinator being a head coach. There's Tony Levine, who was a head coach. There was Brian Polian, who was a college John head Mon- coach. John Bonamigo. It hasn't Bonamigo, gone well yeah. for Bonamigo for did, did fine when yeah. he came from the NFL. Joe, but yeah. Joe Judge in the NFL, now another yeah. example of it. So we'll see. Um, I'm interested to see, in, in one way, you could look at this, and I, just from talking a little, you know, people around the conference a, a little is there's a chance this hurts could end up hurting both schools where it's a ne- it's a negative to Alabama because you have this big presence and that may impact the players in a, in a negative way if there is that kind of connection and and but the those thing, are big the shoes thing to Bruce fill. I, it could not it wasn't gonna go any better no, I, for Alabama. I get what you're saying yeah. I'm just saying like when you look at it it's like I think there's probably people who who uh Look at it and say, "All right, this is going to make Alabama weaker because he's not there." I, I would imagine Kirby Smart's one of those people. I don't think he'd ever say it out loud, but yes, this hurts Alabama. Yes, I I know what LSU did, but Alabama's the one you have to worry about every single year, and that that's the one that Kirby Smart the the mountain he needs to climb, or at least feels like he needs to climb. So yeah, I think he, he by taking Scott Cochran, he's saying. I can do some damage to Alabama. I can also maybe help myself. You know, we'll see if this helps Georgia. Is he a good on-field coach? We have no idea. No idea. Is he a good recruiter? We have no idea. I think he will be a very good recruiter. I mean, don't you? I kind of feel like it is almost 
And because of what you said, Bruce, like the 10 on-field assistant limit is kind of irrelevant now because you have all these other guys behind the scenes that can help. That This is more about hurting Alabama than it is about helping Georgia. He knows he is under a considerable pressure right now to show that he can finally climb that mountain, right? And, I mean, last year it was LSU, but I think most people expect him to take a step back. Really, it's been Alabama standing in their yep. way. Hey, you know what? I got a good team coming back. I've got Jamie Newman coming in. And what if I just, like, do this one thing that maybe will throw Alabama into a little bit of disarray, even if it's just for this one season? It's one season where they actually play them in well, the regular and, season and he in also, week three. And he also understands how important Cochran is to the operation because Kirby Smart worked inside that operation. And it's really hard to separate the spin from the reality right now because Alabama's trying really hard to make it look like this isn't a big deal. And I agree with them to a point. It's like you said, both things can be true. Scott Cochran as Alabama's strength coach probably was not a tenable situation much longer. Right, remember, look, yeah. I, I think it was our colleague Aaron, Aaron, I almost called him Aaron Fentress. Um, Aaron Wrong Suttle. side of the we country. We do have a colleague yeah, have, named Aaron yeah, Fentress. I'm the southern side of the country. Um, maybe, Aaron, maybe I got felled in the brain, but so Aaron Suttles, I think, did a story, he did, on the possibility of Lane Kiffin trying to recruit away Scott Cochran. Obviously, Lane Kiffin had been in, a, in As an on-field coach. As an on-field coach. Um, look how this has worked out. So these guys know how important he is. Well, it is not just that. Lane Kiffin also knew how bad Scott Cochran wanted to be an on-field coach. Yes. I mean, that, that's the other piece of it. This has not been a secret. There's another, there's another guy who was on that staff who had told me if they ever got to be a head coach, they were going to make Cochran a coordinator. And I didn't think about special teams coordinator, but I had heard that a year ago. So I think, like Andy just said, I think people who worked in that building in the last couple of years knew this was – how you know it's as you said untenable i think that's a strong term but maybe that is how they viewed it and just like they knew what this guy's ambition you were you don't they, want somebody to be unhappy i mean you don't do a great job when you're unhappy with your role i guess we'll find this will be an interesting lesson until yes. yeah like how does one learn to become a special teams coach or a position coach you said somebody thought about hiring him as a coordinator he's been at practice every day we know that Unless they were breaking NCAA rules, though, he wasn't actually out there instructing anybody on their three. He had a pretty so. big job on his uh, yeah. already. I don't think he was had time to do much right. else. Right, so just, it's just a completely different job he's going to be doing, and uh, not that we're going to have we're not all going to be you know going to Georgia practices to find out. But all I know is I really hope the Alabama Georgia game comes down to some sort of. Big special teams play one way or the other, right? Well, maybe well, that'll be the only appropriate thing. Alabama fans, regardless of where Scott Cochran is now, hoping it doesn't come down to a kick. Yeah. Well, maybe it'll, like, look, the last time those two teams played, there was a very controversial or questionable special teams call. Now, obviously, that's on the head coach. but By the way, didn't I see you report a little scoop that somebody had hired away Alabama's? Uh, yes, assistant special teams. Assistant special yeah, and, and it's was, the, Somebody, I mean, it's Bill Belichick. <laughs> the some, some guy. No, but was I'm, I'm, I... Don't remember the name. Joe of the, Houston. He Joe was Houston. old USC. So kicker, he, yeah. so he was referred to as the kicker, kicking whisperer, and, and everybody was on Twitter was like, Alabama has a kicking whisperer, really? How how has that been working? Has been whispering very much lately. <laughs> All right. Uh, in terms of the combine itself, Bruce, you did a story this week on your ten guys to watch. Um, you want anybody in particular you want to spotlight? Well. The John Ross four two two combine record in the forty has, I think, it has a legit chance to fall with Henry Ruggs. If you're questioning it, you can watch some of the film from him on the field. 
I don't. There's an interception. Oh, it's again, and he, he chases down. down Nigel Warrior. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Yes, in my view of it, where he basically eisens Nigel Warrior, and it's just like <laughs> unreal how he he closes the gap. So look, now he's 188 pounds. I think the the biggest freaks could be Neville Gallimore. Uh, he ran in the four sevens at 300 pounds, the Oklahoma defensive lineman. Lincoln Riley, I remember talking to him about it. He was like, if I didn't see it with my own two eyes, I wouldn't have believed it. But he is that explosive. I think he's a guy to watch, especially. But I think then also there's a guy here who was from Atlanta. Was a, he's, I think he might have been the only non-FBS player I had in my freaks list last year, Kyle Duggar from Lenore Ryan. Big safety. Uh, we had him in our mock draft, I think going to the Bills in the first round. 6'1", 220, run, has run 4-4-0, 40-inch vertical jump. The, I talked to the, his, one of his coaches at Lenore Ryan, who actually coached Darius Leonard, who was an NFL Rookie of the Year two years ago. It's from South Carolina State when he coached there. And he said, this kid is a much better athlete, more explosive. Wouldn't surprise me if by the end of the combine, people are really buzzing about Kyle Duggar. Sorry, I got a little distracted once I realized that. So we are just to, to paint the picture here. We're, we're sitting in like a little corner of the fan fest that's going on. People can pose with the Lombardi Trophy and maybe kick a field goal or they something. They can watch the bench press. But the one, yes. The, so most of the combine is going like the workouts go on at the dome, but you can actually sit in the stands here and watch guys do the bench press. And there are people sitting in the stands right now. That's why you're hearing Maroon Five right now because they play it between bench press sessions. Bruce, how are you still with? How are you not running over there right now? This is this is your world. I can't. I remember being in this room like two years ago when Vita Vea was here, and I forgot who the other guy was. Uh, Vita it was Vea from did. Stanford, uh, defensive tackle from Stanford. Oh, you're right, Harrison Phillips. That's what they it both was. did. Like I think they in did the 40s. 40s, but they had like one or two reps deducted. So that's why I said I feel like reps. I'm here at the combine by accident because the actual content of the combine could not be less interesting to me, but the scene is actually quite fascinating. I'm glad, you know, you missed this, but just the idea of Stu absorbing all of this. Um, well, I think we should put him on the bench. <laughs> no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> Although people would find that quite I don't, I think right. you That would fill the stance. You don't be so have amusing. to go down to your chest anymore, right, <laughs> Bruce? You, you can go parallel. Oh, it's going down to his chest whether he wants it or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Answer this honestly. The over-under on your vertical, 15 inches, yes or no? I would hope yes. I hope mine's 15 inches. I would hope it's at least that. Hmm. I don't, but I've never, never, is there somewhere we can measure it? There, oh, you're, you're the <laughs> combine. Absolutely, there's somewhere <laughs> yeah. we can measure it. Does somebody have, yeah, we could probably find somebody that can make that happen. Back to the podcast in just a minute, but first a word from DoorDash. Delivery is more than just pizza in 2020. With a selection of your favorite flavors from across the globe, you can order world cuisine from the comfort of your living room with DoorDash. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. With DoorDash, you'll never have to worry about your next meal. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code AUDIBLE. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code AUDIBLE. Don't forget, that's code Audible for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Now, back to the podcast. Um, you know, my main observation about the combine is like, and this is not a surprise. I've been to other. I feel like something very dismissive is coming, right? It's coming. Event. Get ready. Just, I've never seen a higher concentration of dudes. <laughs> There's, 
like that place you that bar last night like you know like a like a bar on a normal night in a city somewhere you would think the ratio would be a little more 50 50 but at Listen, the combine it's like 98 2. <laughs> it's very cool to see Stu and his old sidekick brady quinn together at the bar oh. last night for a little bit i can see everybody just congregate around Stu. Brady wondering. Why it was like an episode of me? the Audible. Brady and I were talking about Northwestern's new offensive coordinator. Yeah, he, and he, he brought it up, by the way, not me. He sees you as the quintessential Northwestern. I don't. Guy. Yeah, that's he's. At least he's past the the time where he thought it was a, some like had some vendetta against Notre Dame. I think, I think we're past those days. Well, if you're not aware, the Andy Staples Show it's going a lot more frequently than the Audible this time of year. Do you have a set schedule? Uh, yeah, Mondays and Wednesdays right okay. now. Uh, we got some good interviews coming up. Uh, got a couple coaches lined up uh, that that you will recognize and have been in the news lately. So we'll hear from them very very soon. Get that show wherever wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can get the Andy Staples Show. All right, Bruce. Let's let's catch up on the mailbag. All right, as always, you can send your questions or comments to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Stu, what's first since you're looking at them? An old friend of ours makes a reappearance for the first time in, I feel like, a few months, actually. Is he from South Carolina? He's from Columbia, South okay. Carolina. Our friend Jason Garluski, Bruce and Stewart, right now, due to either recruiting dominance or position in their conference, I feel like there are six teams that will be f- most favored to make the playoff. I believe he means this year. Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, and one of... LSU, Alabama, or Georgia in the SEC. I also know this is cyclical. Who would be the first team in that group, in that elite group, to drop out? And who would be most likely to join this group of elites in the near future? Okay, so he doesn't mean just this season. So who are the In three general, those the, are the trendy picks. The pick. three was LSU, Georgia, and who? No, it was Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, and the trio in the SEC of LSU, so Alabama, Georgia. and Georgia. I'll go first. I don't really see Ohio State, Clemson, or Oklahoma dropping out anytime soon. I could be wrong, but I feel like they're just like, those are programs that are a step above, and in Clemson's case, several steps above the other teams in their conference. But obviously, the SEC is a little bit tougher. Um, right now, I'm inclined to think LSU drops out of that group for at least a couple years. I think they'll still be in the mix, but I don't, I, w- I would say it's m- more likely, it's, more likely we don't see LSU in the playoff in the next two years than we do, and I don't know if I'd say that about the other teams. Yeah, I mean, if I had to guess with that, I mean, Oklahoma to me might be the other one I would look at. I mean, I think, I think LSU is right now better is might have better has better players than LSU than Oklahoma, but Oklahoma is in a much weaker divi- conference, right. and I don't know who's who who I look at and say, okay, they're better in the Big Twelve than Oklahoma. So that's the part which kind of is like, it's one of those two. Because, I mean, you look how Georgia's recruiting. We've talked a lot about Georgia. Um, I don't know. And, you know, look, if, if, if Jamie Newman didn't go to Georgia, then I might think a little differently because it might be a step back at quarterback play. I have, a little, I have more confidence right now in Jamie Newman than I do because he's played than Miles Brennan, though. Yeah, and... Oklahoma is the one that I think still has to prove something, obviously, but they have been, they've made it, they've won the conference, they've made it to the playoff three straight years, and if you say they're going to drop out of that group, who's who's replacing them? Either I don't know. The question yeah. is maybe, look, maybe Oregon's the one who's replacing them. They're obviously not in the Big 12, but you don't need to have a Big 12 team make the playoff. I mean, I don't feel like Oklahoma, 
And again, some of this probably has to do with, I saw Oklahoma a lot down the stretch. We did their, we did their TCU game that they struggled with, but they won. We did their Iowa State game, which they barely won. They handily beat an Oklahoma State that was missing their two be- you know, one of their two best players. And then we saw, I saw them play LSU and just got annihilated. So, I, I mean, in, in full disclosure, I think some of it has to do with me having that window and them losing by far their best player on defense in Kenneth Murray and certainly Jalen Hurts. And maybe, look, Lincoln Riley deserves the benefit of the doubt because he's what he's done three quarterbacks in a row and maybe Spencer Rattler jumps right in without missing a beat. But he's the one guy that they've had. I mean, I guess, you know, Kyler Murray is probably the most similar. I mean, Baker obviously played a ton. Jalen played a ton. Kyler didn't play much. So we'll see if they go on without missing a beat there. So who would be then the team? I'm going to say, I am going to say Oregon. I think they're, when you look at their front seven, their, their defensive talent, I think it's the best defensive talent the Pac-12 has seen collectively in a long time. If Tyler Shuck can hit the ground running, and it's not just the Ohio State game, we've talked about this privately. The uh, When I say privately, I mean we talked about it over lunch. At earlier. lunch we talked yeah. about how we might think they might go 0-2, so you've yeah. changed your tune quite a bit. No, it's just but We're not talking specifically this season. Yeah, but I, I think they're the probably one that's next, to me, best positioned. Um, Is there anybody else I'm missing? Well, I don't disagree with that, except that generally it's been hard for one Pac-12 team to get there and stay there year after year like some like these teams are doing. And now we the the bench reps have begun. The grunting has begun in earnest. I think it's is it offensive line? It's offensive line. So these are going to be the guys who are going to push the most weight. I think mean, I I'm obscured from seeing it. I can only see like part you of the You see the jumbo right there? I can see half of it cuz I got Deshaun Watson covered. All right, well John will watch it, keep track for you, okay. give you notes. Um no, the other team I was going to say, uh getting back to this Jason uh, Garluski question. Um Penn State, I could see, I think they're on the cusp with James Franklin. Mm -hmm. He just got that new contract. I don't think you and I are as concerned as we were this time a year ago that he might be off to USC. So, Although the buyout's not exorbitant. It's $5 million right now. You're gonna stoke those I'm stoke not, those rumors just, again. You, you, you threw, the audible you, was driving the bus throw, on those last you throw, year. You throw up a pitch, and I just like swung at it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and that's not to say Ohio State's necessarily going anywhere. By the way, but that's maybe tr- becomes more of an that's even. That's Ankrum. The guy before him, I don't know who that was. It was another guy whose name starts with A, though. Okay. All right, um, Brian Walker. Brian. So you know how I've written the Knights and Barons, like the, the classifying the programs. I've heard tiers. you talk about yeah. this numerous times. Brian Walker. Would you say this? I know you. Sport, not me, the readers. Would you say the sport has gotten more enjoyable or less enjoyable for fans of Knight and Baron programs since the start of the playoff system? As a West Virginia fan, it sometimes feels like we're living in the rich neighborhood but can't afford to keep up with the social scene. That's a great analogy. Less enjoyable. I mean, that's it's, it's a little hard for me to really get step. I mean, I'm guessing the answer is yes because I feel like, and some of this to our to our old friend Tim Brando has pumped that a lot, and I feel like there's a handful of people who have really made that case of it's been less inclusive, right, um, the way it's worked out. I don't. I feel like perception is reality, so I'm going to say yes. Yeah, it's the combination, less inclusive, but also the, the ripple effect that the playoff had on the Bulls. So if you think back to the uh, Pat White, Steve Slayton, West Virginia era, which was phenomenal, right? They never played for the national title. They came close. But 
going to the Sugar Bowl and upsetting Georgia. Isn't that the Owen Schmidt era, too, by the way? Yeah, it was the Owen Schmidt. And the Pat McAfee era. Uh, going to the Sugar Bowl that year and upsetting Georgia. Going to Fiesta Bowl and upsetting Oklahoma. Those are really, really satisfactory seasons for their fans. Right. And now, like, you know, Penn State beating Memphis in the Cotton Bowl was not, like, a huge deal for those those teams' fans. I don't think Georgia beating uh, Baylor in the Sugar Bowl is no. a big deal for those fans. No. So, yeah, it's like to truly feel like you arrive, you've got to reach the playoff, and not that many teams do. So, And by the way, if they go to eight teams, I guess theoretically you say, okay, that would be more inclusive, more teams would feel like they have a shot at it. How often is West Virginia going to be in the mix, even in an eight-team playoff? Hey, I don't know about that. That, that team that destroyed Clemson in the Orange Bowl, they could have been in the mix for eight teams. Mm, I think they had about... That might have been like a they would have been in the kind of hey, so they certainly would have been in the mix when Dave wants them. Well, here's the, the thing: part. they would have been in the mix in that if there were automatic bids to a playoff back then. They were in the Big East; they could have gotten an automatic bid. In the Big Twelve, though, they're going to have to win the conference over Oklahoma. They and can others. be in the mix. You're selling Neil Brown short. Okay, I do like Neil Brown. I think they'll get a lot better. Back to the podcast in a second, but first a word about our sponsor, DraftKings. There's plenty going on at DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports. DraftKings will have millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs this week. Take your shot at big cash prizes with basketball contests every day or take a swing at golf, hockey, and more every week. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Get closer to the sports you love when you play daily fantasy sports with DraftKings. Drafting your team is simple. Just select your players and stay under the salary cap. And don't forget there's still football going on with XFL action this weekend. Plus, when you join DraftKings today... You play free for over 100 k in prizes with your first deposit. Get in on all of this week's action. Download the DraftKings app now. Enter code RUN during sign-up and get a free shot at over $100,000 in prizes with your first deposit. Don't forget, that's code RUN and get a free shot at over $100,000 in prizes with your first deposit. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Um... We have some coaching search questions from Will, Stu and Bruce. I have a question I've been curious about for some time. What is the purpose of a search committee for a college football head coach? Do athletic directors not know who they should be talking to? I feel that most fans in college football media know who the up-and-coming coaches are, and it seems that the new new coach hires are often accurately predicted. It's hard for me to believe the athletic administration doesn't know who to target but the fans and media do. So when he said search committee, I thought, because some schools do have a search committee that's... Search firms, he's talking about. He's talking about search firms. Yeah. uh, I don't know what the purpose of the search committee is, to be honest. I think it's for them to basically make sure it's not, you know, and look, Bill Moose is, you know, some of them worked out well, but I think it's really, the search committee part, I think, is to get a consensus as opposed to one person and maybe kind of, hey, let's make sure we get this right. As the search firm is, I think the search firm's big part of it, though, is also handling the interview process and vetting candidates. And if that's supposed to be their expertise, now ultimately, the AD gets hired and fired, or at least gets fired, by who their choices are. The search committees, very few people, you know, like, I'm talking like, you can probably name them on, like, on two hands, know who did these searches, you know. If, if a coach turns out to be Tim Beckman for Illinois or one of those kinds of, you know, complete dud doesn't work out, nobody's, very few people remember who the search firm was. You right. know? So that's the, uh, 
that's the tricky part of it. I feel like a search firm is also supposed to help you avoid leaks, and yet almost every it's coaching almost search it leaks that, out. Yeah. So I, I don't know that, that how, how useful that is. But, you know, obviously they help with some of the – in fact, if you go back in the Audible archives a few years, we actually had on Jed Hughes from Corn and Ferry, who's one of the, the leading search firm uh, people involved in college athletics, and he walked us through what, what their role is. In fact, he – it was so long ago that he had just done the Michigan search that got Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, and wrapping up with Mike Diadana from Westville, Indiana. When when it's funny because this question came in before Colorado hired Carl Durrell, and it's now even more relevant. When discussing coaching hires and openings, you guys always seem to talk about whether a coach has some connection to the area. Why is this important? It would seem that if a guy can coach and recruit, why does it matter if he even spent time in that region of the country? I think in the case of Colorado, one of the things that they got ended up getting maybe a little twisted up in is here's Mel Tucker. They liked him. He got a lot of people really excited in the first year. And ultimately, he ended up taking a job back in the Midwest where he's from. Now, obviously, Michigan State was paying him a lot more, and they were paying his staff double of what he was getting in Colorado. So it's not you know, a complete cut-and-dry ex- ex- example. But one of the things that I think really is – something that these schools kind of get caught up in is we have to have a guy with some kind of emotional attachment to this place because then they'll think he'd be more inclined to stay as opposed to being maybe swayed by more money or something like that. And so there's a little bit of an emotional attachment to it. Uh, You know, I think that's, in a lot of ways, I think that's wishful thinking is that narrows your coaching pool down dramatically. Now, look, there's plenty of examples we can think of of a guy who's like, ooh, that was a bad fit and it didn't work out. But I also think if you don't get what you think, if you don't chase what you think are the best candidates, you're really hamstringing your hamstrung. I, I, I feel like it's it comes up more in the Pac-12 or in the West than anywhere because it is such a unique part of the country. And they've, I mean, they've seen, like, Willie Taggart goes, spends one goes season home. or goes back goes home, home to Florida yeah. State. Like, they've seen this has happened to their schools often enough. To think like, well, if we don't, if we hire somebody from the complete opposite part of the country, they're not going to stay. I don't think that's necessarily true in the Big Ten or the SEC. I mean, some of the now the SEC they've started to, for the most part, become a conference that tries to only hire from within. But then we've seen plenty of coach. Urban Meyer had no SEC experience before, you know, becoming a national championship coach at Florida. Nick Saban had never been in the SEC before uh, LSU. Well, he, yeah, before he was at LSU. So. You, so I think Mike is, is right to some extent that if the guy can coach and the guy can recruit. Oh, I agree, I agree yeah. with what he's saying. I agree with what he's saying. I mean, look, if you're an Oregon fan, Mario Cristobal is from as far away as almost humanly possible in the continental United States. He's a Miami guy. And, and they're worried because Miami's current coach might well, they were be out of a job. They were worried. Uh, we were doing the Red Box Bowl or maybe the Foster Farms Bowl, I guess it was called then. And Mario Cristobal, the Miami job came open, but his bio was like 11 or $12 million at that point. And I think people know he played there, he's, his family's from there, that he might want to go back there. But, again, I, I think you'll look at it. I mean, look, Texas hired Tom Herman. Tom Herman had been a GA at Texas. He spent a lot of time in the state of Texas. I mean, Jimbo Fisher had coached in the SEC before Texas A&M was able to bring him back. I think there are people who feel like we're going to play on that Attachment. Urban Meyer's from Ohio, right? right? He ended up going, you know, Ashtabula native goes back there. So I think there's a lot. Jim Harbaugh goes to Michigan. I think the one that's that to me is like kind of the thing we should 
foreshadow with this is USC, which is the place that would like, oh, maybe they'll hire Jeff Fisher who played at USC, or maybe they'll hire Jack Del Rio who played <laughs> there. You know, they hired Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian who had connections to the place. Uh, you know, what happens if it doesn't work out this time around with Clay Helton? Do they immediately go back to the Rolodex of USC guys? I'm guessing they won't. It seems like they finally, with, with Mike Bone, turn the corner and... and if, if he ends up having to make a coaching search, he doesn't seem like somebody who's going to go through the USC the reality family is there Rolodex. Aren't, there aren't fresh, ready USC candidates, unless you're going to say, hey, Pete Carroll, at 69 years old, do you want to come back? You know, so. Pete Carroll is 69 years old? I think so. That guy's. <laughs> that's impossible. I mean, you may be right. I remember he always was older in age than he seemed, but my goodness, that's hard to think about. That's hard to, 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 to process. Uh, this so we're about to wrap up, but this I, this just reminded me of something. Or this, I just have a question, a total curveball I want to throw at you, based off the discussion we just had. In the year 2020, where would Mario Cristobal have a better chance of winning a national title, Oregon or Miami? Right now, with the talent he's inherited, he's recruited at Oregon. Absolutely, Oregon. No, I mean just where is he better set up for success? Well, right now, Oregon because there's no Clemson in the Pac-12. True. That would be my case. Now, and I also feel like, now obviously Miami, much better I mean, recruiting here's footprint, some, but in terms of like power of the brand, Oregon's brand is pretty powerful. I don't, even, I don't think that's even part of it. I think it, I would come down to two points on this. One, there's no Clemson in, in the Pac-12. And two, right now where Oregon is benefiting the most of everybody, from USC being kind of spinning its wheels. And so you have that combination. If USC has not like had a, had a dark cloud of coaching uncertainty over it for three years, different story. I mean, Miami is a, is a bigger job with way better recruiting base around you. But Miami needs to, needs to take about three steps up before it's like anywhere near that, and it's not. And also... This is the window if you're trying to get it in the Pac-12 where you have a coaching transition at Washington, Stanford has fallen way down, and USC has had so much uncertainty that it's like it's put them very vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, look, if, if, if he actually had to have, end up making that decision next year or whenever, like if he wants to go home, he wants to go home. There's nothing you can do about that. But from an actual football perspective, Miami definitely has the better recruiting territory. And that's it. I feel like then if you were listing all the factors, Oregon would get the check mark. But the money, facilities, but the recruiting competitive comes, standpoint. Well, wait a minute. Money, though, not necessarily. The ACC money is, is closer to the other two than the Pac-12 money is going to be. That, that's true, but we, as we know, Oregon's... When people get so worked up over the conference revenue distributions, they forget. Like, that's just one... Like, a school's overall athletic department money... That's just one part of it, and Oregon has this booster that you may also, be familiar with. But it's also, you're talking about the recruiting is the thing that he is probably driving more than anything. And I think ultimately you can get way more players um, in Coral Gables than you're going to get in Eugene, no question. Oregon. So, no question. I mean, I think that's the part that's different. So maybe for that reason, maybe it's a no-brainer. I don't know. I just, I wouldn't assume that that's necessarily automatically, he would automatically consider that a better job. I mean, he would have 10, 15 years ago, but Miami's been stuck, so, you know, in the mud now for so long, and Oregon, Oregon's got it going. So, yeah. anyway, that'll John Hayes will probably put that quote in 
our little Twitter thing, and Oregon and Miami fans will go nuts on us. But it was a good discussion. It's a good discussion. I'm sorry, I saved it for the very end. So, <laughs> I've had a hard time focusing the last 15 minutes uh, with guys doing uh, bench press as we as we broadcast. But it has been cool to do a. It's always cool when we get to do these in person. It's just a more natural conversation than we're in our houses on Skype. But sadly, we will have to go back to that next week. Uh, as always, send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com, and we will see you next time. How did we get away with the things we